The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. This morning, we have back with us again an encore presentation, John Rennich. John is a futurist. He's also the author of Getting to a Better Future, A Matter of Conscious Choosing. Welcome back to Leading Conversations, John. Thank you, Cheryl. Good to be back. Oh, it's great to have you here. Now, the last time you were here was July of 2007. And um, a lot has changed since then, a lot that you actually had talked about in our previous um, show. And uh, so we're going to get into some of that today. So where are you this morning, John? I'm in my home in San Francisco looking out over a crystal clear day, sunshine, blue, very blue bay, very gold, orange golden gate, not oh. a cloud in the sky. Just How great. How great. Yeah, there are some really good reasons to live in California, one of them not being the budget of the state of California, but we won't talk about that. Okay. <laughs> we just like to talk about the landscape and the scenery and the great people here. So, John, you have lived, um, I think, most of your life in in San Francisco um, that I remember. And, you know, I've always thought that the Bay Area had an interesting perspective on the world and on the trends that are coming. And there seems to be a real openness to looking at what's possible. Would you agree with that? Is that something you experience? Uh I'm I'm the fish in the water, so I can't address. You know, I can't speak about the water so much because I've been here all my life. I was born here in the Bay Area, but it it definitely seems that way given all the innovation that comes out of the Bay Area, yeah. from from high technology to um, the green movement to you know so many things are are based here and started here. <clears throat> Forward thinking ideas, I guess I'd put it that yeah. way. Right, and that is definitely what you are. You have, you are as a futurist, you are somebody with forward-thinking ideas. Tell us a bit about how you became a futurist. Well, I I didn't even know there was such a thing as a futurist when I started doing this work, but uh, eventually, as the speaker bureaus wanted you to check little boxes about what kind of speaker you were. Um, I didn't find very many options, and the closest I could find is futurist. Hmm. Now, at that time, I'd already written for a futurist publication. I'd already been to some futurist conferences, um, and I felt kind of out of sort with those people because they were mostly into doing predictions and and scenario planning, which wasn't my way of futuring. Hmm. My idea of futuring is what kind of future do we want? Let's put a vision together and let's make it happen. What do we do now to make that future occur? So I felt a little bit out of... Uh, kind of a maverick, right. the other futurists. But 
it, it's it's a handle, and people want a handle. You know, they want they want right. to label you, and right. that I don't have a consulting practice per se. I do consult with other consultants from time to time, and I do coaching a little bit. I call it mentoring, but that's not my main thing either. My main thing is writing and speaking, right? About, right. And trying to get people into looking at what they want rather than what they think they have to settle for. Well, that's an interesting approach as I think about where we are today in our global society and what's happening with the economy and and a shift. You, in the last time we talked, you talked about a shift and that we were really at a choice point and that we could determine what the future looks like. So what have you seen happen since then? That was a couple of years ago. And... How did we get to where we are today with our economy? Well, part of a paradigm change is that uh, it, when it happens, it's like an earthquake. It's a big shift. And if we were to consciously choose, as in a choice point of consciously choosing, a new paradigm, a way of living together and being together, both economically and, and materially and, and uh, relationship-wise, uh, that would be one thing, but when when a shift is in in the works and is more or less inevitable, and we resist it, uh, that's the bigger the earthquake, bigger the shift happens, mm-hmm. the more the more uh, uh, degrees it shows on the scale. So what's happening now, as far as I can see, is that all of our systems, every human-made system right now, has been in dysfunction for some years. It's not just the economic system, the climate system, the legal system, the educational system, the medical system. So all these systems are in, in, getting in more and more out of control, more and more dysfunctional. And the most powerful, seemingly, that is the system we have given the most power to, has been the economic system. Right. It's been more or less the king or queen, the royalty of the systems. And so it's not, if you're a systems thinker, it's not a great surprise that the economic system would blow up first. Uh, but the other systems are fairly close behind. <laughs> That's yeah, right. Bad news. So we have a lot of forces pushing us to make a to consciously evolve, and that's a little bit what my last book was about, and and a bit about mostly what, what my new book is going to be about. But it's it's like we're being pushed by things failing, and but we're being pulled by something. We know something is there's something bigger out there for human mm-hmm. beings. Mm. Dwayne Elgin makes a point of this. He and I have talked about it, where we both have polled audiences all around the world, asking them what level of maturity they think the human species is in. Oh. And inevitably, the one that has vast majority, 80% of the hands come up, is the teenager or the adolescent. Well, say more about that. Well, we we are, as a species, still acting like adolescents. If you think of all the... Uh, behaviors of teenagers we're thinking short term instead of long term you know like the teenager thinks about the most important thing is Friday getting a date for Friday night they're not thinking about the long term consequences well human beings haven't been thinking about the long term consequences of weather everything um, adolescents have a tendency to go for instant gratification you know I want it all now well that's basically a good part of our consumption Right. Uh, drive is that we we want we want it all now. We're not a very patient. Uh, well, adolescents aren't patient. So right. <laughs> right. 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 You know. So in America, we're kind of like the adult, the the rich kid with the fastest car on top of it. 
So it makes uh, us a little more a little more dangerous. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, so you know what we know about teenagers is that their uh, frontal lobes aren't completely developed in their brain, and so their decision-making processes are not. Um, they don't have full capacity for rational thinking, and so that's one of the reasons why parents need to really stay on them and make some decisions for them. Usually it's saying no. Um, who's our parent? Who's, who's the one who's making decisions or who can help us as well, teenagers the, in our society? Yeah, in, in contrast to physical maturity, there's emotional and intellectual and spiritual maturity. Hmm. And those are those you have to decide. Physical, we don't have any choice over. We're going to mature physically, whether we are asleep or in a coma or whatever we are. Mm-hmm. But if you want to evolve spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, those are conscious decisions you have to make. And there are many people in the world that have been writing and thinking about this for some time. It's not like there's a complete absence of right. mature adults around. People made those conscious decisions, and a lot of people have been kind of stuck in that consumptive, go to work, do the job, act out when I'm not working because I don't particularly like what I'm doing. Mm. So, you know, get drunk or take a drug or do whatever you do to, to quote, feel better, uh, all of which is very adolescent behavior. Mm. So if we could start listening to the wise ones, uh, the wiser ones, um, more reading would probably help. We don't read very much. Um, human beings don't read very much. And and actually looking at my my work as I see it is because if you talk to people face to face or in an audience, even in an audience, they know that this isn't it. This isn't the fully evolved human being. There is a scientist in the UK who thinks we've evolved completely. We've maxed out. He's starting to implant biotech things in his body because he thinks that's the next level of human evolution. Oh, wow. <laughs> Not my style at all. <laughs> long ways to go in terms of our emotional maturity. I'd say, I'd say spirituality or awakening our spirit, not the religiosity, mm-hmm. but the, spirit, the true spirituality mm-hmm. might be a source of maturing because when, when you have that spiritual maturity, you can't get there without having emotional maturity. And huh. along with that will come intellectual. Oh, that's maturity. interesting. And that so, will be self, there'll be more self-restraint, which is what adults do, because uh, they've seen the consequences of acting out adult a childish behavior. Hmm. So, so talk a bit about the spiritual aspects. How do we get people to develop more on a spiritual level? Well. I don't think we get them to do anything. Hmm. Uh, that's one of the big fallacies, especially amongst <clears throat> consultants, <laughs> um, because that's what they do. They, you know, that's, they're, they're there to help people. But it's a, it's a constant, you know, what, what we do know is that getting, pe- getting somebody to change, whether it's a loved one or uh, a client or whatever, mm-hmm. rarely works. Right. People don't want to be changed. Right. They may change themselves. And you may give them enough information that they're in, inclined to do that, but you're not going to get them to change. In fact, often what you get is resistance to that right. change. Right, right, right. We, we all want to think we can change, but we don't want to be forced to change or having somebody impose themselves on us. Mm. So that's that's a big part of uh, uh, 
whatever you asked me. I forgot what you asked me. <laughs> right, in terms of how the um, how to get people to look oh, at the right. spiritual side. But, yeah. but, what, but what we can do is through metaphor, through examples, through modeling, and through information, um, show people that there is a, an alternative to what they have if they aren't completely happy with what they have. And quite frankly, there's a lot of unhappiness. We are not one of the happier countries in the United States. We work harder than any. We work more hours. It's interesting just to compare Western Europe with the United States. Uh-huh. And I know that in some circles that Western Europe isn't very popular, you know, the old Europe and all that kind of or, thing. Yeah. But what my travels over to Western Europe and the statistics I read is they are happier. Mm. They, they have a foot, an ecological footprint about two-thirds the size of America. Right. Our Americans on average per capita. So they have do much less damage to the environment. They work a lot less. They have much more time off. And they even have a happiness index, and they're much higher on the happiness index than we are. We're well, and then that goes back to um, when I hear those arguments, um, often what is uh, rebutted is, well, um, and their gross national product or their gross national profit um, is so much lower than the U.S. And so here we go. That makes what you said earlier, the economy is king mm-hmm. or, the US. or even the way we measure the economy. Right, I mean, exactly. People have been arguing for years about the gross national product is, is, a, is outmoded as a way of defining any kind of progress. Right. It, it measures the wrong things. Right. So we're going to talk more about what we can measure and how we might be able to move toward those things when we come back right after this break. the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexsaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. More and more business people recognize the importance of spirituality in their work. How do busy professionals discover what rings true for them? Embracing the journey with Karen Humphrey Salad explores what it means to be spiritually fulfilled in business and how to integrate spiritual direction into a career. Expert guests, authors, and inspiring speakers join Karen every week to discuss such issues as honesty, compassion, generosity, ethics, and integrity in the workplace. Take a positive step forward to greater life balance. Tune into Embracing the the journey with Karen Humphrey Salad, broadcasting every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back to Leading Conversations. This morning we're speaking with John Renage, futurist and author of Getting to a Better Future, A Matter of Conscious Choosing. 
John, before we went to break, we were talking about how we get people to um, look more at their spiritual awakening. And you had some thinking about that. Well, the people change. <clears throat> people usually change for one of two reasons. Either they really are inspired by something, whether it's outside themselves or, or some a friend or something, that they're inspired to move closer to something that they aspire to, something mm-hmm. above them, you might say. But they also change when the feet are on the coals, when the, your feet are being held to a fire, and it's just really uncomfortable, and you want to get, you want to be more comfortable. So right now, what we have is is a, a evolution, a stage of evolution, where the systems that are so dysfunctional and now crashing um, are pushing us into change. So we're we're going to change one way or the other. We're going to change or disappear. But there's also this this sense that. <clears throat> David Smith, the astronaut, once said when he landed on set foot on the moon, he says, man must explore. And, of course, that was a dated age. That was in the 60s. It would be mm-hmm. human beings have to need to explore. Sure. There is this need to go beyond where we are. And so far, that, that adventureness, that, that exploration has been on technology. Mm-hmm. But we could just as easily turn that to the, the whole exploration of consciousness and where we go with consciousness. And people like Barbara Marks Hubbard and people that we both know for have been doing this for years and years and years. Right, right. And, and somewhere along there, though, people, those people that are into that, seeing that, that new maturity, maturity, that new level of consciousness for human beings, are also people that have done a lot of spiritual work. And uh, that's something I don't, I don't think you can impose that on anybody because that's what, why so many people are burned out on religion. They had it imposed on them early on. Right. But so people seek out their spiritual lives and enrich their spiritual lives on their own, typically. Well, this kind of segues to um, one of the other elements that we spoke about in the last segment, which is the how we measure our success. Um, you know, I have, I have two questions, um, but let's start with one. The, you know, how do people assess a sense of spirituality. I mean, let's just get back to the basics. What is spirituality? Well, I I would define it as one's relationship with a higher power or something outside of themselves. That's great. Some some identity outside of themselves that they uh, have a relationship with, whether you, you can call it God. These are all labels anyway. Right. Call it God, call it goddess, call it nature, call it uh, love, call it call it whatever you want. But it's it's a presence uh, that's bigger than we are. It's it's beyond us, outside of us and our egos and our in our own consciousness. So, in some ways, we have to believe that um, there is. We have to believe there's a higher power. We have to believe that there is something exists that. Um, is beyond us. Right. And that, that to me is that sense of awe and hu- humility, <clears throat> that sense of greatness. Uh, it, some people look at it as the interconnectedness of the human family. Okay, that's, that's another way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. The, Indian, the Native Americans had another way of looking at it, as, as in the, the earth and the Gaia, there's the Gaia philosophy. Mm-hmm. The thing is that it's something that is held in respect and awe and wonder and... A, a, 
a, a good word that I, I think I heard this originally from Van Jones puts life in a sacred context. Hmm. That doesn't mean a religious context. This means a sacred context. So with sacredness comes reverence and humility and all that sort of not ideology. We're not right. talking about idols here. Right, right. Well, and that makes sense to me um, in terms of what's happening with um, attention to the earth and how we are using the resources and how we have ignored and not held any reverence for this place that supports us, that supports human beings as life. You know, um, and you know the the way we're looking at it is via the climate change issue. Um, and I think there's a whole lot more to that story. But how then do we get to measure our success? You mentioned earlier that the economic measurement was king, is king, queen. Um, it, it holds so much importance, and that's part of how we got to where we are right now. It appears that the fix feels like still focusing a whole lot on the economic importance. I mean, is this going to be helpful? It's materialism run amok, basically. Uh, we, we're measuring everything by material things, and money money buys things, so money is a big measure. Mm. Um, but, you know, when you, if you look at the GDP, we're measuring uh, money spent to build prisons, we're money, you know, we're, we're spent. We're, it, it measures things that are not necessarily a sign of progress, um, but it's still seen that way. There's a there's an outfit called Redefining Progress. I think they might be actually based here in San Francisco. Mm. And they've been doing great work in in this for years, but we're still the 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 establishment, the collect, the consensus is still using GDP. But there's a lot of other indexes that could be used. Hazel Henderson has done a lot of work in this area also. Right. There's a lot of healthier measure, metrics to be using than GDP. Do you, can you name a couple of them? I, they're not coming to mind right now, but one of them is the, is the happiness index. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure the listeners could, could Google you know, anything that resembles um, indexes for progress. And right. We'll get lots of... <laughs> Maybe that's one reason that Google is replacing our memory cells. <laughs> so easy to find things. You don't you don't have good to point. remember them anymore. That's a good point. Um, but you know, it's interesting what you say about how even in our uh, GDP, one of the measurements um, is industry increasing profit, and one of the industries is prisons. Or, or military, or military, or building up the military. If we if we have if you build more war machines, that shows up as GDP. But is that really a great sign for progress? Right. You know? Right. 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 You know that. Um, so we have to now redefine progress. Um, our new president, Barack Obama, um, is has been thrown into this crazy time, though I believe he's, you know, he's up to the challenge, um, at least mentally, intellectually, and emotionally, that's for sure. Um, I am wondering what your perception is of his approach to, we've got to 
approach everything. We can't leave any part of the system untouched. Um, and we're not going to get all of this fixed, but we have to start moving forward. What, what do you think about that? Well, I'm, I'm um, delighted with his capacity mm-hmm. uh, to deal with multiple things that, you know, He's doing. He seems to be doing a great. I'm not there, so I don't know exactly. But from right. what I see, he seems to be doing a very good job of moving forward on many fronts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he has a capacity for for doing that. Um, the one thing that I am the most, I won't say ne- not even nervous about, but the most skeptical about, is um, the, the where they seem to be both both Bush and. Uh, Obama seem to be in agreement that we have to go about um, creating confidence and credit and restore cre- credit to the community of, mm-hmm. of consumers. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's a, a tenant. It looks to me as if what they're trying to do is fix the system to patch it up, mm. and that system broke for a reason, mm. and patching it up might get a few more years out of it, but then it'll just crash. It's crashed before now, mm-hmm. keep in mind. It's not just 33 and, and 2008. It's crashed a number of times. Yeah, when, when was that? Uh, well, 87 was one when I was actually in the securities business, so I remember 87. Um, that crash, and, it, and it, wasn't, it wasn't the meltdown we have now, but that's the nature of systems. When they crash, because they've gotten so dysfunctional, they crash, if you, for some reason, you keep them going, and you don't fix the dysfunction, if you leave that, the, right. that essential DNA in there, the next time it crashes, it'll be worse. Right. And then it'll be worse, and then it'll be worse. So if you can imagine putting this off, patching it up, rolling it back out, getting everybody to feel better and start borrowing money again, living the same lifestyle we were living, which led us to this place, mm-hmm. and we go into huge debt, and then we pass that debt and this dysfunctional system that might limp along for another few years onto another generation. Mm-hmm. And they'll have an even bigger crash. Right. You know, um, most of my life, the premise has been and the assumption has been was that each generation would um, succeed at a higher level than the previous generation. And it showed up in things like the numbers of people going to college and graduating with degrees and the level of income and the um, acquisition of houses, real estate, things, etc. And I, I think this is the first time in my lifetime that I have heard people say, it's not going to be like that anymore. Well, that's yeah. pretty widely accepted, even in mass media right now, that, right. that the next generation is not going to have it as well as this one did. We 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 pigged out. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, and, yeah, and, uh, big, big time. Yeah, and and we and many people still want to keep pigging out, mm-hmm. and they they don't want the pigging out to stop. Right. right. And uh, that's 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 largely where the people that are saying, you know, don't don't make any corrections, just. Just uh, pump a bunch of money back into the system and get people to feel confident about borrowing money. We've been, we have been systematically uh, over overliving, uh, living beyond our means was a phrase that Paul Volkner used recently, 
as a society. So it isn't all about the bankers. The bank, you know, there's always going to be greedy people, and there's always going to be greedy people who take advantage of a good thing. And the good thing they see is, hey, people are buying anything. You know, we can pack, package marbles and sell marbles to, as security packages. So we, we've been pigs at the trough mm-hmm. as a, as a, mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as a nation. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, I saw this in a New York Times article the other day, is the Europeans and the rest of the world figure, well, Americans have lost all their manufacturing jobs, and they're, they're really polluting the environment and all that. But one thing they do know how to do is make money. So we were like the model, the kingmakers, and everybody right. said, well, they know how to do it, so let's follow their lead. So they all followed us, and you know, right, the, the following the herd right off the edge of the cliff. So oh, yeah. Point, the rest of the world's not looking at us quite the same. Not the same. Well, when we come back, I want to talk about uh, what new things might be up for us as we move away from the model that's not working anymore. We'll be right back. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The economy and financial markets continue to expand in both their size and complexity. But being able to anticipate changes in the markets for housing, jobs, and financial assets remains a crucial ingredient to our financial well-being. On the economy and the markets, with economist, investment strategist, portfolio manager, and host, Doug Cliggett, utilizes his 25 years of experience with that of his highly informed guests to provide clear, reasoned explanations of current events. To navigate the markets that influence our lives every day of the week, tune into The Economy and the Market. With Doug Cliggett, broadcasting each Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The economy and the markets. Clear thoughts in a complex world. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. We're speaking with John Renich. John, uh, before we went to break, we were looking at um, how progress is redefined and what could possibly be re- what could possibly emerge out of um, this big crash. Now, we look at the crash of the economy. Um, we look. You said it's happened before, um, maybe not to this depth, but we have experienced 
not fixing something that isn't working. And so it crashes, and here we are again. Right now there's a lot of blaming going on. Um, there is, as you mentioned, you know, the bankers are the bad guys. I'm wondering about um, kind of how we all contributed to this. The, the pigs at the trough? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't see this. As soon as you start pointing fingers, it, it's, it's, it's a way of deflecting the responsibility mm-hmm. uh, by making somebody out to be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously the Wall Street and the way they're treating the bailout money and all that is, is I mean, they're so into greed they don't even see their greed. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't, and, but Americans are, have been greedy. We're, mm-hmm. we're all greedy. We all want things that we can't afford. And in my era, and that's one of the, the advantages, there's not a lot of advantages in getting older, but there's one, this, at least this one. I can remember before there were credit cards. I can remember when people had savings accounts, and if they wanted something that they didn't have enough money for, they put it on layaway. Mm-hmm. And my my father, as I recall, when he bought his first new car in '49, paid cash for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you finally, because of the GI Bill after World War II, you were the idea of putting a loan on a house, so you actually had a mortgage on a property, um, thanks to the GI Bill. That, but that. Most of, of what we did then as companies, we had reserve accounts for, ba- for bad times or slowdowns, and we had savings accounts as individuals. And this credit card thing came up in the 50s, late 50s mm-hmm. and 60s, mm-hmm. and it's gotten now to where people have stopped savings. Right. Savings accounts have plummeted in the United States over the last 30 or so years. And people have somehow, the East generation has shifted their attitude so they think of their credit card as their savings account. Well, it's interesting, you know, because that speaks to another measure of our um, gross national product. Credit card companies increasing their profit then would be part of that measure. Yep. So the debt of the individuals in the U.S., um, the higher the debt, the higher the, the profit of the credit card companies. Um, that is an indicator of our success, which, in fact, has turned out to not be an indicator of success at all. It's not. It's, it's it's progress. If you're measuring progress in a very certain way, which is how much money is being um, circulated, I guess you could right, say. Right. Right. But it has pay, it's not paying no attention to what it's being circulated for. Mm-hmm. So you have you have individuals relying on say on their credit cards instead of savings accounts. So they stop saving and and build and have more and more in debt. Right. Of course, bankruptcies are up and all that. Right. And then companies, instead of having a reserve account, uh, I still remember when it became in vogue to get a letter of credit for your company. So that letter of credit became your your reserve account. Right. So we shifted in a matter of two or three two generations from having assets for for bad times to relying on credit for bad times. Well, if you have if if you have to have credit to survive in bad times, and bad times comes about. Because the system crashes and there's no credit available, it's like, eek, you know, right. what do I do now? But this is like the addict that has literally come to the end of the rope and has to quit cold turkey. Mm. And we're going through a form of DTs, you know, the, right. the shakes right now. But we all have had some hand in it. Unless you've been living in a cave and growing your own food outside your door, mm. um, I think you've been somewhat complicit. 
mm-hmm. in this in right. this whole um, pig pig out. I never used that word until this interview, but pig out is not a bad word for it. <laughs> wanting well, you, wanting you, things we can't you, afford and wanting it now. You refer to a, a concept. Um, I've heard you refer in the last couple of weeks to economic anarchy. Talk a little bit about that. Well, it's it's a term that just um, I just thought about that as a term for describing some of what's going on. It's the in one way it's the it's the anarchy of money that money has over people. Mm. So that that's a very kind of um, general way of looking at it. But there's also been this new book by David Corton, a new agenda for uh, agenda for a new economy. He talks about the the phantom wealth that Wall Street generates, mm-hmm. and that the real wealth, Main Street wealth. He makes a distinction between Main Street and Wall Street, and the Wall Street has been controlling us into working harder and harder, and shifting more and more wealth from the, the many to the fewer, and that's a form of anarchy. Mm. And because we all hold the economy or the dollar or wealth in such high esteem. Uh, reverence right. to the degree of it being the king of the hill, king of all the systems. I mean, think about the decisions that we Americans make. Almost always, in the decision, we come down to what's the, what's the cost, and inevitably we'll go with what is the cheapest or the fastest. So we all have been worshiping at the altar of the the fast, cheap, and easy. Right. Um, so, and so that's the I, success of places like Walmart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and then they then they say they people claim, oh, put the downtown is really going to pot. You know, that's really too bad to see all those merchants go out of business. Hey, you put them out of business. Yeah. When you decide to you know not shop at that store anymore and go out to the big box store. Now you are one of the people I know who um, started looking at this whole situation with our economy a while back. Um, talk, talk about a gathering you were part of in December of '07. Well, I'm I am a, a, mem- a very active member in the Foresight Network, which is a social network of sorts, but it's mostly futurists. And one of the things that occurred to me in late 2007 is, you know, we're embroiled in the war. Doesn't look like we're going to get out of that. Uh, this whole idea of um, the American empire, because that's been fairly new to me the last few years, of seeing America as an empire. I never did for, uh, up until maybe 10 years ago. So I asked the, uh, I started a forum on the Futurist Network that um, I said, why aren't futurists talking more about the possibility of an American empire collapse? Mm. And it took a while for me to get because if people were getting into why there will be a collapse or there won't be a collapse and all this sort of thing back and forth, I said, no, no, I'm not talking about will there or won't there be. Why aren't futurists talking about it? Hmm. But we finally got enough discussion going so that around June or July, I put the discussion uh, to sleep. I didn't delete it. I just put it to sleep. And then in September, I decided to re- revive it and call it the Wall Street crisis. So it's, it's basically had two lives, but they're related. Because a lot of people are seeing this this financial meltdown as being potentially the end of American dominance economically, because what we have become tuned into, besides a Wall Street for, force which is very formidable, we are also the world's shoppers. Mm-hmm. 
we are we are the buyers. Right. We borrow, right. We borrow money from China to buy things that China makes for us. <laughs> right. It's, now China's with all their cash is buying up a lot of things to yeah. help bail us out, and mm-hmm. uh, we may end up being owned by China. Yeah. Well, this this discussion that we have going, we uh, it it's had more posts. It's almost seven hundred posts in it. And an economist, a retired economist in the U.K., David Mercer, has graciously agreed to put all these posts together into a white paper that we're going to be publishing soon. Oh, yes, that's uh, informed of that. And it's not, it's, we, none of us agree with every word in it, but we sure. all had input yeah. into it. Yeah. yeah. But it's what, what happens when you get a bunch of people together uh, with varying degrees of expertise. Um, so we, we, we've come up with something that, that we're all relatively content with considering it was a consensus document it wasn't it wasn't my paper it wasn't david's paper it wasn't right, any one right. person's paper and that well, to me is is partially what i'm concerned about with what's going on in washington that uh, there's still group think i mean there was definitely group think in the bush administration mm-hmm. but the obama administration could also suffer from group think if they don't have a lot of common sense or or diversity in their in their people, if they have all experts, um, it can be really dangerous. And groupthink right. is what happens sometimes when that occurs. Right. Well, yeah, and a lot of us have hope that um, you know at least Obama's style is bring opinions, bring differing opinions to the table. Let's talk about it. Um, let's hope that um, the people around him also follow through with that because they control a lot of what he hears. Well, I, 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 I've, I've emailed him and you know, done everything I know how to do to get to him about looking at this thing from a systemic point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, because without, without looking at it from a systemic point of view, it definitely will be a uh, bailing wire and, and patching game. Sure, yeah. And it'll just be, okay, now let's see how, much, how many more miles we can go down the road with this, right. model, with right, this, right, right. With this one. Right. Well, you know, all of this has to have some sort of good news. And um, I just know that you can see what's coming. And when we come back after this break, let's talk about the possible futures. Okay. We'll be right back. The Bottom Line in Business, Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. 
the bottom line in business. Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and we are speaking with John Rennish. John, as a futurist, um, you must have a sense of what's coming and what some of the possible futures are. Is there any good news? Well, I've been writing about the future for Oh boy, maybe more than twenty-five years. So I've I've got to have some innate optimism in me. <laughs> but I've been talking about bringing forth a new paradigm since eighty-eight. Anyway, I, that's the first article I wrote about it. So part a new paradigm is a new paradigm for the whole society, a whole way to be in relationship to one another in the world, and a part of that new paradigm is a new financial system a system that is more um, fa- fair is be one word but it doesn't possess that 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 uh, anarchy piece to it so it's it's uh it's not socialism and i know there's a lot of people throwing that word around now yeah. because this country has been so uh polarized around socialism communism blah 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 right right but some form of oversight is obviously required uh, on the economy, so that what we the the trend that is going to probably snap first in the world, e- even with the economic meltdown we're having, is when the haves are so few, oh. and the have-nots are so many oh. that the have-nots revolt. Right, and that's that could be the end of humankind at that point. Mm-hmm. So that to me is is the the, the final thread that we don't want to snap. Right now, if we snap it and we go extinct. Okay, I'm I'm actually okay with that. Yeah. But I'm holding, you know, my my little job in my little corner of the world is to keep pr- promoting, beating the drum of optimism that we can make a conscious shift and evolve to a, a whole different level of being with one another and being in in the world together and being in our planet together. Well, what would that look like? I I could see it. <laughs> The economic system is by itself, or the whole the whole the whole thing. The whole thing. Yeah. There, we would shift from a uh, a attitude of competition, me versus you, to a me you collaborative culture. You can oh. collaborate and still be competitive. It doesn't mean the end of competition. But you, you know, any sports any sports competition you see, there's definitely collaboration in, in promoting their sport. But at the same time, they are highly competitive in their individual contests. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be one way. One another another shift would be to shift from there's not enough. I have to get what I can right now. Mm-hmm. To there's plenty for everybody, mm-hmm. and we we can all get along, as Rodney King said years ago. <laughs> right, right. Um, the other shift is is a little more aesthetic, but it's a way a, a shift away from fear and separateness and individualism sound familiar like right. american individualism right. to one of community to one of compassion to one of love mm. and appreciation reverence the reverence of life you know that shows up that tends to show up when there are huge crises a la you know when 911 happened 
the level of compassion and caring for the other and reaching out to people you didn't even know, um, that permeated not just the U.S., but it seemed to permeate the world because it had such a, it was so visible of an issue. Do you, I mean, clearly we have capacity for it as human beings. It seems to be in our nature. We must be shutting down a whole lot of our nature. We have have episodes of that enlightened way of being together. Right. Like, but it's taken typically an event to to have an episode. Right. Another episode might be the inauguration in Washington. Mm. The crowd shots there were just incredible. Wasn't that amazing? So, so it, but those are episodes. Right. So what, one of the other shifts of this paradigm is that rather than having a background of separateness and selfishness and um, fear and ego, with episodes of collaboration and coming together and community spirit and all that, hmm. we could have a background of community, of connectedness, of interconnectedness, of mm-hmm. reverence and appreciation and relationship. And there'll be incidents of that not happening. There'll be a murder every once in a while or somebody getting in a fight once in a while. There might even be a war once in a while. But those would be episodes. Rather, they would be, it's like the zebra, you know, which are the black and which are the, is it white on black, is it white stripes on black or is it black stripes on white? Mm-hmm. But we could change the background so that the the given the default when people when the episode is over mm-hmm. people are back into feeling that safety that that hospitality that relatedness that self that that interdependence relying on one another rather than back to my little castle back to my walled community back to my my little mm-hmm. castle well do you think this is happening it's not happening on near as I can see. It's not happening on a large scale. It's happening in small scales. It's happening in small communities. It's happening within some people. But it hasn't. It hasn't gotten that uh, momentum. It hasn't gotten that consensus. Hmm. Uh, we still are. We're still building walled communities. Hmm. You know, like little gated communities uh, that the rich can afford. Uh, and that, that's an incredible metaphor. You know. For right. The, Building a wall around your 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 house right. and putting an armed guard at the gate, <laughs> mm. but that that could be the metaphor that takes us to the point where there's so few haves that they have to wall they wall in themselves around some geographic place, mm-hmm. and the whole rest of the world starts lobbing rocks in. Right. Well, that happened in uh, <clears throat> South Africa and didn't work out so well, you know, because the um, when there was apartheid, that's exactly what happened. The rich walled themselves in and mm-hmm. it didn't matter there was still huge and and, and that I'm, I'm really delighted you bring it up because my favorite example of how a, a, a condition can be transcended mm. is the truth and reconciliation commission they did right. there right and and that that's it's a miracle to me now the, the the sad part is that they proved that you could tell truth have the truth out People could be um, could own what the crimes they committed. People who were the victims of the crimes could actually uh, testify what they were and to to the people that perpetuated them. Right, right. It wasn't it wasn't the vengeance cycle. It was just tell the truth and let's get this this heal. 
because vengeance and retribution and uh, punishing people doesn't heal. It just perpetuates. It just transfers over the pain and the suffering. Right. And so the sad thing is that was 15 years ago, and mm-hmm. nobody else, we, the rest of the world, is still resorting to armed conflict. Well, and my sense, is, my sense is, though, that you have a belief that there is a shift. There was a shift for South Africa. What about for us? We, we, haven't, we haven't opted for it yet. Now, could we? Of course, we could opt for it any time. For instance, um, I've been part of a, a little bit of a broth of trying to have a Truth and Reconciliation Commission for Washington, D.C. For, mm. the, for the last eight years, and the mm. war crime, crimes and all that sort of mm. thing. Just to have the truth out. The American people don't do well if they don't have the truth, and mm. it takes 20, 30 years for it to come out, like with what we did to the Japanese and what we did sure. to the Native Americans and so forth. So let's get the truth out now. Don't worry about putting people in jail or all that. You know, do a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So all of a sudden I see that it's starting to get airwaves. Mm-hmm. Reporters are asking questions about it. It's on one of the TV shows. They're talking a lot about it. Now there's a, sen- a senator in, in D.C. has proposed this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's got enough signatures at this point to have one. Now they're arguing over, well, but they should they have immunity. <laughs> well, the whole idea of Truth and Reconciliation in reconciliation is there would be immunity. Right, right. Only if you lied would you be subject to persecution. Right. But if you tell the truth, they didn't call it immunity. They just call it truth and reconciliation. Well, John, we just have a minute before we close. Uh, I'd love for you to read for us something that you wrote that talks a little bit about our future. I don't know if I can do it in a minute. Oh, just go for it. Okay. Um, I was in a group the other day. We were talking about the financial crisis, and, and it, it started percolating that something might be wanting to be born out of this crisis, that it's not just fix it back up, mm-hmm. but something has to die for something new to be born. And that night I wrote this song, and there's a shade. It's called Echoes of Buffalo Springfield, so many of your listeners may not even remember them because they were <laughs> a rock group back in the 60s. The sound of fear is deafening as the crisis of pundits pierces the air. Every day the news is grim, and there's so much talk, oh, what despair. But wait a minute, what's over here? It's millions of young people starting to cheer. What's that sound? What's going down? Is the banker going to take my home, or shall I lose my job? It seems so dark from what they say, yet what I heard the other day, hope is filling the air, not just gloom and doom. What is that sound? What is going down? Something is dying, that's for sure, but something else is happening here. Nothing new can happen until... There's room to grow. That is nature, after all. What's that sound? So start the crying. The old system is going down. Something new is coming. New life is on the way. Like Buffalo Springfield said some time ago, it may not be exactly clear, but we can hear the sound if we lend an ear. Something is coming, that's for sure. Stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. Expectancy fills the air, as does uncertainty and gloom. It's time for hospice now. Get the midwives ready. They'll be needed soon. Listen for the sounds of new birth. Listen for the sounds of grieving. Listen to the sound for what it's worth. The third way is coming, and it might be all new, just like a baby. But when is it due? The ravenous caterpillar has seen its final days. The glorious butterfly will soon be born. The golden sky awaits the end of the storm. No silver sounds, but a lot going down. Farewell to those who have lost their souls. The old bull is dying, thanks to you. 
And welcome to the hopeful, the eager, and the honest. We know it's a mess, but please do your best. Thanks to Buffalo Springfield for having been and the song they sang back then. What's that? What's that sound? Everybody look, what's going down? That's fantastic. Yay! <laughs> Thank you, John. Thank you, John Ranch, for being with us today for your inspi- <laughs> excuse me, your inspiring look at the future for helping us know that things can be different. John, if, they, if people want to reach you, um, what's your website? Uh, www.renish.com. All right. Well, thanks again, John. We look forward to hearing more from you. And uh, everybody remember to think big because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 